millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What's up, everybody? And welcome to The Reluctant Historian. This is the podcast where I try to show my husband that history is actually cool. I'm your host, Liz Lawson, and this is our reluctant historian, Dakota Lawson. On this podcast, I'll tell him a story from history, and he'll share his unapologetic thoughts and opinions. So, if you love history, or you absolutely hate it, this podcast is for you. On today's episode, Dakota, we're talking about the Filipina guerrilla fighters of World War II. Okay, that, I I was more interested if it was just about guerrillas. (laughs) <laughs> I was like, guerrillas, fighters, okay. Yeah, you, you'll have to hook me a little bit more, but we'll see. Do you know what a guerrilla fighter is? Uh, do they put paint on their face and then they have to like jump into war and like they're, they're very vicious and stuff like that? I mean, I guess that would be like a stereotypical understanding of who they are, yeah. The, I, I understand this world in stereotypes okay. here. So. <laughs> well, so I guess I'll tell you, guerrilla warfare, it's a form of irregular warfare in which small groups of combatants, such as paramilitary personnel, armed civilians, or irregulars, use military tactics including ambushes, sabotage, petty warfare, short surprise attacks, and mobility in order to fight a larger and less mobile traditional military. So it's like... Punching someone in the nuts, kind of. It's like cheap shots. Or Absolutely what? not. Like we depend on guerrilla warfare to, you know, it's like the it's like the strong rebel army being like. Oh. Ah! But I thought it was like surprise attacks and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. W- wouldn't that be considered a cheap shot? <laughs> I mean, it depends on whether or not. I know you, it's like, I know it's war, so it's like you know not in this cheap. There's no real cheap shots in war, but um. Surprise attack sounds like punching someone in the nuts. <laughs> yeah, I think... Unless I have a misconstrued understanding of it, but... I, I think it comes with, like, the connotation of who we're supporting. If you are, like, big military and supportive of, like, our military, you might think guerrilla warfare is a cheap shot. I personally am not... Well, I mean, I am pro-military because I said that I would fight in the wars if I had to, but... um. I, w- I, also, I wouldn't, because I'm a coward. Yeah, I feel like, it's like the little guy, you know? Mm. He's like, You know, there was a point when, you know, I consider myself a little guy, and someone was pulling a um, my hood over my head in high school, and I punched them in the nuts really hard. And I was clearly the hero of that story. Absolutely. So I'm much like a guerrilla warfare fighter. You are, yeah. So... So sit down, buckle up, and get ready to listen to the history of the Filipina guerrilla warfare fighters of World War II. by recognizing that we are recording on Treaty 6 territory and the homeland of the Métis Nation. 
We make this acknowledgement in recognition that we are settlers here on the land that belongs to the many different First Nations of Canada. So, Dakota, what's your golden nugget this week? I had a fantastic massage today. I was, this was one of those things, see, we, t- we talk too much, you and I, because you came in the house today and you're like, oh, how was your day? Uh, you know, I was like, oh, I went for, I, I didn't want to tell you I had a massage because I knew we were recording uh, this podcast, but we, we just talk too much. So, so we're it, never going to talk again? Well, like the kind of funny podcast, they always say, save, uh, save stuff for the show. Right. So, uh, you know, uh next time next recording day you'll ask me uh so how was your day and i'll be like i don't want to talk about it <laughs> and then i'll be like you're <laughs> mad at me are you breaking up with me yeah or i'm hiding something or whatever i'm like like who is she yeah because <laughs> we both know i'm crazy that's true so anyways i had a massage today and me and my friend tegan are uh we go to the same massage place and we're slowly working our way through each massage therapist and then we're ranking them i have a spreadsheet mm-hmm. So, well, we know you love to rate things. I do. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, this massage therapist, the best one I've had so far there, it got an eight out of 10. Didn't do my, didn't do my hands or my feet, mm-hmm. which I didn't love, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, everything else, good pressure and everything. And like, just, t- just a top notch mas- massage. So. Who is she? <laughs> it's a callback. It's a callback. You like yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was great. Times. Thank you for that. What, <laughs> so what is yours? Do you have one? Uh, other th- other than researching the show, you had one job. Was the golden nugget? Was yeah. the one job? Yeah, yeah, that's what I was saying. <laughs> uh, I made cookies on the weekend. You did, and they oh, were oh my word, yeah, they they were your grandma's recipe. Yeah, and they were so freaking good. They like, were. Um, they're moist and soft. Yeah, it's delicious. delicious. Yeah, weird way of describing cookies. Uh, well, they're moist. Yeah, but just the look in your eyes. Oh. I mean, the listeners can't see that, but like, I mean, who do you love more, me or the cookies? Cookies. Yeah, that was a that was a dumb question, setting myself up for failure. It's true. Um, but yeah, they were amazing. So yeah, you done did good. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So I'm going into this episode hoping that you have a little bit of knowledge of World War Two. Do you? Hitler was there, right? He was there, yeah. Cool. <laughs> I'm gonna be like, I'm, I'm the dit- the ditzy one in this podcast. That's my new role. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no longer a small town lawyer. <laughs> oh no! Now I'm, I'm a small town lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, I have uh, a little bit. Of, you know of Hitler. I know of Hitler. I know he he did some bad shit, you know, mm-hmm. Jewish people trying to get rid of them. Yes. And I mean, I, there's probably other things that I probably know if you bring them up, mm-hmm. but Cap was there. Yep. Cap Captain America, he punched Hitler in the face. <laughs> there was that. Um there was this movie, I don't know if it was World War 2, but Behind Enemy Lines or something like that. Possibly. I've never seen that. I don't know, but I remember uh, my uh, father, Daryl, he took me to, he was, we were going to a movie, and I was I was probably like seven or eight, mm-hmm. and he was, or maybe it was a little, or maybe nine or ten, but he was like, uh, well, he wanted to see Behind Enemy, enemy Lines, and uh, he told me that the directors of Pokemon 
made this movie. Oh no. <laughs> and so we went to it and in the movie someone gets hung. <laughs> oh dear. As a poor little nine year old. It it warped my fragile little mind. I, I can see that. <laughs> That's why I am the way I am. Yeah. Drama. <laughs> so anyways, carry on. Well, in this story, the world had once again gone to war, this time to stop Hitler from taking over Europe, and Japan from taking over places in the Pacific. So Japan's Pearl a bad Harbor. guy here. Yeah, that's a part of World War One. Is, is, is that what you're talking about, about them taking over the Pacific? Yes. Yeah, nailed it. Yeah. So at this point in time, both the USA and Japan were attempting to exert their control over the regions of the South Pacific. So if we remember back to our imperialism stuff from last week... Both Japan and America had attempted and succeeded in colonizing areas of the South Pacific, such as Korea and the Philippines. However, we often forget today that Japan was involved on the enemy's side in World War II. And yeah, I can probably say enemies because we all agree that Hitler is bad. So I don't know why I said enemies in quotations there. Just like, <laughs> you're going to offend our listeners. Yeah, no, they were involved with enemies. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they were involved in our enemy side in World War II, and they have done a pretty bang-up PR job on the side of things because we don't really think of Japan as the bad guy anymore. Yeah, well, they made it up, they made it up to us with Pokemon, so. And Nintendo. And Nintendo, they were like, uh, we did bad before, but here's our gift to you, America. <laughs> I guess so. But Japan had actually joined with Germany and Italy to form the Axis power. Essentially, these three countries had signed a pact to have each other's back in the war and as a way to, one, scare off America from entering the war, and two, to prevent communism by way of the Soviet Union to gain any traction. So at the beginning of World War II, again, America hadn't entered until they were bombed by Japan. This alliance asked the three countries to assist one another with all political, economic, and military means when any one of them was attacked by a power at present that was not involved in the European war or in the Sino-Japanese conflict, which is the war between China and Japan. So the wording of this alliance excluded the Soviet Union because the Soviet Union was already involved in both of these wars, and so the alliance was seen as a warning to the United States against entering World War II. And this became known as the Tripartite Pact and was invoked in 1941 following the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. So that's just a little bit of background information for history geeks that are into that sort of stuff. But basically right. just know Japan bad guys. So, so wait, we didn't join in the war until after Pearl Harbor or, or was it a different bombing? We're not American. So, so, sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I thought this was North Dakota. Um, no, but like, I, sorry, Americans didn't yes. join until after Pearl Harbor. Correct. Was that the... Yeah. So... Which was like about two years into the war. So did they kind of fuck themselves over by bombing America? Absolutely, and then, yeah. And then having America, you know, join because they were kind of a powerhouse, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, you got it. So would they maybe have won the war if if it weren't for... I don't want to say America is like the heroes or whatever. I don't want to paint it that they're the only factor. But I mean, just bringing them into did not help their chances of winning. So yeah, America was a huge part in helping um, the allies win. Mm -hmm. um, Germany had already taken over France and were on their way to conquer England. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there's been lots of books written about whether or not Hitler could have won. Also, Hitler was addicted to meth, so maybe... Was there he really? Yeah, maybe there would have been a problem. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's fascinating. Yeah. I have a very different 
image in my head now. He doesn't have teeth in my in mind. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think I read somewhere, too, that a lot of the German soldiers were hopped up on cocaine for most of the battles. Really? Yeah, I should do more research into that. That's... I think that might be my biggest takeaway from this episode. Which has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But that's wild. Yes. Okay, carry on. Yes. <laughs> so, yes, on December 8th, the United States declared war on Japan, and four days later, Germany and Italy declared war on the United States. Thereafter, however, the pact was largely seen as ineffective, as Germany and Japan had diverging interests and were largely pursuing their own agendas. Which brings us what, to the topic that I really want to talk about, which is the lady guerrilla fighters of the Philippines in World War II. The lady guerrilla fighters. Yeah. So I don't know if you could hear it when I was saying it, but I was saying the Filipina, which denotes oh, a, a lady. I did I did hear that. Uh, I just thought it was one of your classic word slip-ups where you uh, are having a stroke. <laughs> ah, so those do happen often. I was like, ah, yeah, okay, she means Filipino, but whatever. <laughs> but okay, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, but I needed to tell you about Japan and all of that background information so that you could know that Japan is a bad guy yeah, in this and story. That, and that we could get to the main point, which is Hitler was addicted to meth. That's the main point. As I said before, Japan was hungry to gain more land during this time period and had amassed a considerable empire in the years before direct conflict between the United States and Japan. The majority of Western powers who had also colonized the South Pacific had diverted much of their personnel and materials to Europe to aid the fight against Germany, allowing Japan the chance to move into this area. The Philippines Campaign, also known as the Battle of the Philippines or the Fall of the Philippines, was from December 8, 1941, so when USA enters the war, to May 8, 1942. This was the invasion of the Philippines by the Empire of Japan and the defense of the islands by the United States, the Philippine armies, and incredibly, the Filipino guerrilla fighters. So that time I did say Filipino because there were men and women Mm -hmm. that were engaged in this guerrilla warfare, but I want to focus a lot on the female part. Because you're a woman. It's true. Following the attack on Pearl Harbor, which was actually intended to keep the Americans out of the war... Oh. Yeah, they attacked they attacked Pearl Harbor and were like, "Haha, we have all of these planes." La, 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 la. But but like, I'm assuming not all American soldiers were at Pearl Harbor. <laughs> no, actually there weren't. They were well, not they, all there. Did they think they were all there? <laughs> like No, cuz Pearl Harbor is in Hawaii, so if you mm. look at the globe, it's yeah. Hawaii's close enough that Japan could send their military bombers out there um and then be able to fly back. In rather time than for, in, in time for supper <laughs> yeah rather than having to fly all the way to the states so right it know. was the way that states is too far so. yeah so it was like intended to be like hey we have a lot of power yeah don't mess with us because if you do mm. we're gonna hurt you yeah. and america was like nah fam you done fucked up yeah and we want to attack you but we're also kind of lazy and don't want to go that far <laughs> yeah so the do they not know America, though? America. <laughs> America in the 40s is very different from okay. the Americas that we know Because I'm just thinking of how I would see it as if, you know, if they attacked us, oh, we're fucking going to war with them. Like, yeah. Uh, no, it's a very different, yeah. very different time and place in American history. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, so Japan really just wanted to be able to do whatever they want in Southeast Asia. They were trying to colonize China, they had colonized Korea, they were trying to take over more land over there. So to get into the Philippines, the Japanese launched the invasion by sea from Formosa, over 200 miles north of the Philippines. The defending forces outnumbered the Japanese three to two, 
so there's more Filipino people, uh, but were a mixed force of non-combat experienced regular National Guard, constabulary, and newly created Commonwealth units, so not actual military people. The Japanese, however, used first-line troops at the outset of the campaign, and by concentrating their forces, they swiftly overran most of Luzon during the first month. I don't know why I gave that a French accent. <laughs> Is that uh, not how it's pronounced? No. <laughs> it's like Luzon. Oh. Yeah. But but it, uh, the on part makes it seem like it might be, like, I can see why you would have pronounced it that way, because Luzon. Yes, I got confused. Yeah. Uh, the Japanese high command, believing that they had won the campaign, made a strategic decision to advance by a month their timetable of operations in Borneo and Indonesia, so other places in the South Pacific, and to withdraw their best division and the bulk of their air power in early January 1942. That, coupled with the defenders' decision to withdraw into defensive holding position at Bataan Peninsula, enabled the Americans and Filipinos to hold out for four more months. Japan's conquest of the Philippines is often considered the worst military defeat in U.S. history. About 23,000 American personnel and about 100,000 Filipino soldiers were killed or captured. Holy shit. The Japanese maltreatment of the Filipino and American prisoners of war was visible to the Philippine citizens who witnessed firsthand the cruelties of the Japanese army. Japanese army did some fucked up shit when they were taking over stuff. Just look into the um, rape of Nanjing uh, to see how horribly they did war. Yeah. I mean, war is never good, but, like, they witnessed the brutality and the killing of prisoners of war as they were marched to the prison camps and were themselves, the Filipinos, vulnerable to the Japanese army as well. Filipino men and women who attempted to give food or water to the marchers were wounded or killed, usually by bayonet, as a result of their actions. The Japanese occupiers went on to continue to hurt the Filipino people with the aggressive removal of civil liberties the torture and capture of Filipino citizens who sympathized with the Allies, and the immediate severing of foreign relations and aid. They also tried to capture a bunch of women and make them become comfort women to the Japanese army. Comfort women? What's a so, comfort woman? <clears throat> it's, they were forced to comfort the Japanese soldiers. They're there. And like pat them on the back? <laughs> or is this, a, is this a dirty sex thing? A horrible sex thing, yes. Oh, uh, my mind went to innocent being like, I you know, know like, you're I'm, so gentle. I'm sorry your dog died. They're there. I'm no, on the, no, they yeah. were raped many a many a time by Japanese soldiers. Wow. So they were brought into like military camps and were like, hey, you're just going to stay here and service the men. It was super fucked up. Yes. These actions went on to spur a grassroots movement to resist the Japanese occupation of the Philippine island. During the Japanese occupation of the islands in World War II, there was an extensive Philippine resistance movement, which opposed the Japanese and their collaborators with active underground and guerrilla activity that increased over the years. Post-war studies estimate that about 260,000 people were organized under guerrilla groups and that members of the anti-Japanese underground organization... <laughs> do you have a stroke there? <laughs> See, I do have strokes. <laughs> And that members of the anti-Japanese underground organizations were more numerous. The rest of the Philippine re resistance represented the cultural and socio-economic diversity of the Philippine islands. From socialist peasant farmers, middle school teachers, reserve officer training corp youth, to Moro, which is a Philippine Muslim person, warriors, the range and inclusivity of the men and women who participated in the struggle against the Japanese Imperial Army was wide. 
Women guerrilla fighters especially made major contributions to the liberation of the Philippines. But, unfortunately, similar to the guerrilla fighters from the island's ethnic minorities, they have received less acknowledgement and discussion in the history of the Pacific Theater during World War II. The Philippines, during the early half of the 20th century, witnessed few advances in women's rights. But with the threat of war and the encroachment of the Japanese Imperial Army, the patriarchal and religiously conservative culture of the Philippines could not afford to maintain its traditional standards regarding gender. The grassroots resistance drew heavily on the patriotic fervor and many Filipinas who saw the guerrilla resistance as an opportunity to liberate their homeland, as well as prove the capabilities of their sex. The guerrilla efforts proved women were more than capable in taking on numerous roles. Soldiers, leaders, activists, journalists, nurses, doctors, spies, and dedicated patriots. Filipina guerrillas proved to be a vital aspect of both the soldiering and reconnaissance missions that allowed the Allies an opportunity to retake the Philippines. Historians estimate that for every 10 male guerrillas, one Filipina guerrilla served in the underground resistance. Because of their status as women, they were not officially counted as serving, and it actually means that female guerrillas represented possibly more than 10% of the resistance force. Hmm. Wait, so is that there weren't that many of them then, or there were a fair bit of them? That w- so 10% of 260,000 would be 2,600? Oh, not bad. Yeah. These statistics, giving the few surviving resources available regarding Filipina guerrilla efforts, brings to light the missing narratives of a traditionally very American-centered written history on the liberation of the Philippines of World War II. The wartime experiences of women of color in the Pacific provide opportunities to address the various contributions, struggles, and cultural diversity that aided and represented the allied front of the Pacific. Filipina guerrillas, similar to their male peers, were aware of the risks and the ultimate sacrifice they would have to make in their efforts to push the Japanese Imperial Army out of their homeland. One of the added risks and fears that Filipinas shared with their, that their male peers did not was the threat of rape and being forcibly used as comfort women for the Japanese Imperial Army. Yeah, that sounds like that would be, they're risking a lot by doing this. So, mm-hmm. you know, more than just being killed like the, like the men. So that's... Good on them. Mm -hmm. Despite the risks of death, torture, and rape, the Filipina guerrillas of the Philippine resistance gave themselves selflessly and heroically to the cause of both the liberation of their people from the Japanese imperial regime and to the progress of women's rights in Southeast Asia. Filipina guerrillas took on various roles. Many served as medical aides or nurses. The late Dorothy Dowlin, a Filipina mestiza, which is a person of mixed ancestry of Philippine and European heritage, served as a medical aide helping allied soldiers and guerrilla fighters while helping her own family escape the brutalities of the Japanese invasion. Filipina nurses provided the much-needed medical help for struggling American soldiers who escaped the prisoner-of-war camps through the Philippine Islands. Filipina nurses and doctors such as Bruna Calvan, Carmen Lanot, and Dr. Guadela Pablan would continue to help civilian soldiers and prisoners of war in the region surrounding Bataan despite the loss of their hospital and lack of supplies and food. Risking their lives to smuggle medicine into prisoner-of-war camps and maintain their self-built health centers, called Nipa huts, Filipina guerrillas and female resistance supporters helped not only to physically heal the wounded, but strengthen community and soldier morale to better fight the Japanese invaders. Often, Filipina nurses used their medical training to assist other guerrilla groups, such as the WAS, which was the Women's Auxiliary Service. Or WAS. Or WAP. WAP. So inappropriate. (laughs) Not a part of this. Which was led and founded by Josefa Capistrano. Josefa Capistrano was a Chinese Filipina 
who would be one of the first Filipinas to establish and train women as soldiers, nurses, and spies, schooling them in the methods of reconnaissance and of the use of firearms and self-defense. But why is nurses thrown into that? <laughs> You're going to be a, a soldier, a nurse, or a spy? Like I just, <laughs> I guess if you're in war, you'd got to do something. I know. I'm just like <laughs> this. This chick that's coming in to like train them just seems like this badass. Like you know, come to teach them to fight, but also how to heal people. Yeah, yeah. I cool. mean, uh, many, um, many hats. She many wears hats. many hats. Capistrano's female troops served under the 10th Military District in Mindano and would also supply the guerrillas and local communities with food, medical, and military supplies. In 1963, the WAS would be renamed the WAC, which is now the Women's whack. Auxiliary... That's whack, yo. The Women's Auxiliary Corps, and would become an official military branch of the Philippine Army managed by women for women. Cool. Like the Y... The WMCA. YWCA. YWCA. <laughs> What? <laughs> WMC what would WMCA stand for? Well, what does your stand for? <laughs> Young Women's Christian Association? I didn't know that. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Dear, you like you you go there though. <laughs> I do go there. Young women. <laughs> she's she's laughing hysterically, very silently though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Burn. Other Filipina guerrillas undertook reconnaissance missions, establishing guerrilla networks through the Philippine archipelago, again that word, maintaining contact with the Allied forces, and thwarting Japanese propaganda efforts that were seeking to win over the Philippine people's support. Filipina guerrillas like Colonel Ye Panillo served as a radio and newspaper journalist while fighting alongside and leading her very own unit of male guerrillas under the Markings guerrilla troops of the island of Luzon. Panillo used her journalistic skills to cleverly hide resistance messages in public radio announcements. She also documented and maintained guerrilla activities, relaying information to the Allied forces and to other guerrilla organizations. Panillo also routed out undercover Filipino collaborators, which were called Makapili, who sought to paint the Philippine resistance as detrimental to Imperial Japan's efforts to absorb the Philippines into a friendly Pan-Asia. So Japan wanted to put all the Asian people together. Mm. These courageous women broke their society's gender norms while playing a central role in ultimately liberating their homeland from Japanese imperialism. And they did so while promoting the abilities, talents, and skill sets women were capable of in a male-centered society. Through their sacrifices, Filipina resistance fighters like Josefa Capistrano championed gender and racial equality as one of the goals for their resistance efforts. Those are good goals. Yeah. Capistrano would not accept honorable mentions or awards for her efforts until the Philippine government recognized the WAC as an official branch of the military. And they went, that's whack, yo. <laughs> Most important. <laughs> Most importantly, their contributions in the Pacific theater demonstrated the many strengths of post-colonial territories who were undoubtedly deserving and capable of self-governance in the post-war era. So you might notice, Dakota, that this story is a little sparse sparse lacking in detail ah <laughs> thank you for that explaining that word to our listeners i have i definitely knew what that meant <laughs> <laughs> so it's lacking in detail was it because there wasn't a ton of 
because they're resources. Women. Yeah, because uh, they're women. Mm, yeah, okay. so I I kind of alluded to that at the beginning, but ooh, fore- foretelling, foreshadowing. Yes. So I do actually want to end though with the story of one guerrilla fighter um, named Nieves Fernandez. Nieves Fernandez. Mm-hmm. Cool. Captain Nieves was a Filipino school teacher and guerrilla commander who extensively trained her men in combat skills and making of improvised weaponry, as well as leading her men to the front. With only 110 men, she had managed to eliminate over 200 Japanese soldiers during the course of the Japanese occupation. Wait, she herself took out 200 men? Uh, yes. Or, or her and her army. Yeah. But was she the leader of this battalion? Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's really impressive. Mm-hmm. When the Japanese first arrived in the Philippines, they took away all of the Filipinos' possessions. No one was allowed to own businesses, and no one was allowed to teach anything except those things approved by Imperial Japan. In her hometown, the Japanese forced business owners into submission by drenching them in scalding water or dunking them in ice baths with no rest, food, or water until they gave in. Oh, God. Yeah, and she actually did have a business at this time, and she was forced to give it to the Japanese. Oh, As the, well... What was her business? I it didn't say. Oh, there's actually literally one written record of this woman. Really? Mm-hmm. Weird. I mean, story and history can be brought, spent, or passed down through oral history, mm-hmm. but there's only one written record of her. Crazy. Yeah. She was also a teacher. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. So as a teacher, Fernandez became more and more worried that her students would be taken away by the Japanese troops. Women were also especially vulnerable at this time to become targets of sexual assault or be taken away as comfort women. Sorry, let's stop here for a second. Can you imagine, as you are a teacher, can you imagine just someone coming, like, somebody from a foreign country coming into your classroom and just being like, this is mine now, and taking one of your students? No. Like, that would be super fucking scary. Absolutely. I don't know what I would do. Yeah. I mean, that's... (laughs) It's, you know, we... You know, we've got problems, you know, in in life, but never had a problem that bad, you know? Mm -hmm. So, like, that's... I don't know. It's pretty awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Fernandez decided to take matters into her own hands after the Japanese took away her possessions and small business and threatened to take away her students as well. For two and a half years, Fernandez carried out ambushes on her own. She would head into the jungle barefoot, taking out dozens of enemy troops alone. She became known as the Silent Killer. Alone and dressed in all black, she would set up ambushes in the jungle armed only with a makeshift shotgun and her bolo, which is a type of knife. Her technique was to stab her targets behind and below the earlobe, severing the carotid artery and internal jugular. Damn. Man, when are you going to take things into your own hands? Who am I going to murder? <laughs> I don't know. What if somebody wrongs you so badly that eventually you're just sitting there and you'd be like, well, I guess it's time to take things into my own hands. And then you just... <laughs> I I mean, I could see myself doing that. I could too. It's kind of terrifying. Fernandez gained the respect of the people where she lived, and she began to train groups of men to fight with her. Shifting her focus from teaching the alphabet to school children to training men how to kill silently, she earned the title of Captain Fernandez with 110 gorillas under her command. Her s- <laughs> not gorillas, I, gorillas. Oh, is that that's? I thought it was the same. No, it's spelled differently. O g u e, isn't it? Yeah. Right, but I think it's better if we just pretend that she like, you know. She she's she owned a business. She was a teacher. She trained gorillas, <laughs> you know, and trained them to fight with her. <laughs> yes. Her small gorilla army became so efficient and deadly that the Americans were astounded that it was a woman who led them. 
In fact, Fernandez was the only female guerrilla commander in the Philippines during World War II. Eventually, the Japanese grew so frustrated and so afraid of Miss Fernandez that they put a bounty of 10,000 pesos on her head in the hope that her fellow Filipinos would betray her. But no one did. Throughout the war, Fernandez and her 110-strong company would liberate prisoners of war, sabotage Japanese supplies, and conduct hundreds of raids on the Japanese Imperial Army in the Philippines. Toward the end of World War II, and when the Americans arrived on Liette in 1944, Fernandez and her guerrilla forces had already liberated many villages from the Japanese and freed dozens of comfort women. The only written evidence of her heroics that survived remain in one photo, which I will put on in the Instagram page, um, and through a small American newspaper from 1944. That's the only written, written evidence. Evidence, for, And that's where you got all this from? or There's a lot of articles about this woman, but yeah. they all take their history a lot from this one article, and then I think some of them, like one of them was from the Esquire magazine in the Philippines, so I'm guessing that maybe they talked to oral historians but it's too bad there's not more because she seems like the badass of the war yeah she's pretty cool you know she's like um like a girl rambo yeah i I guess which is pretty cool yeah the defense of the philippines was the longest resistance to the japanese imperial army in the initial stages of world war ii of the 48 provinces in the philippines only 12 were in firm control of the japanese Many provinces in Mindanao were already liberated by the Moros, which were the um, Philippine Muslims, well before the Americans came. After the war, the American and Philippines government officially recognized some of the units and individuals who had fought against the Japanese, which led to benefits for the veterans. But that sounds easier than it actually did happen. The guerrilla movement was also a subject for a number of Hollywood films. So Dakota, what do you think? That was quite interesting. It wasn't... uh super long which you know as a you know i was always used to despise hour-long history classes Mm -hmm. so uh, i liked that aspect of it (laughs) oh good no no but 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 actually though it was uh really interesting to hear this uh um fernandez right nieves nieves fernandez just sounds like the badass of the war Mm -hmm. which is like i mean you know what? I'm I'm thinking Rambo, but I'm also thinking Batman because uh, because uh, it got to a point, you know, in Batman where criminals weren't going out at night. Like certain criminals were like, I don't know, like what if Batman shows up? You know, mm-hmm. similarly with Fernandez, they're like, what if she shows up yeah. and friggin' kills us? Mm-hmm. You know, and to think that she her battalion killed two hundred pe- two hundred dudes, like. Super cool. And I also take back my first initial thought, which was a um, sucker punch or whatever you want to call it. Uh, Cheap shot, if Mm -hmm. if you will. Uh, Just because now understanding in context, uh, (laughs) these uh, assholes deserve to get (laughs) punched in the nuts. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give it a seven. Oh, a seven. Point seven. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm going to give this a 7.7, Hitler loves his meth, out of 10. That is not the main takeaway of the story. (laughs) That's my main takeaway. (laughs) I'm sorry. I taught you so much from this episode. You don't get to decide what I take away from this. That's true. And I did take away stuff like that. Like, this is, it's cool um, that you, yeah, shed a light on, you know, that there were, well, uh, roughly 2,600 
you know, women who decided to stand up and take matters into their own hands, mm-hmm. you know? And it's just a badass story of uh, women being badasses. Yes. So I think that's pretty cool. Me too. So I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good story. Thank you. Yeah. Well, that's all we have for this week. We'd like to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to hang out with us. If you enjoyed listening to what we had to say, please subscribe or download our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or Google. Leave a review or tell your friends about us. If you want to stay in contact or see behind-the-scenes action, you can follow us on Instagram at The Reluctant Historian. Or if you want to shoot us an email with future show ideas or corrections you may have noted, you can email us at thereluctanthistorian at gmail.com. So, we'll see you next week, same time, same place. And remember, listeners, sometimes you've got to take things into your own hands. True. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.